I think it's so funny when people say politics doesn't affect me. Politics is affecting every second of every bit of your day, whether we know it or not. It is it is all around us. It's the water that the fish swims in. And so, yes, of course, as a parent, I want to make sure that my kid has the best shot they've got. Um, and so, yeah, heck yeah, it's extremely political. Welcome to Power to the Parents podcast. I'm your host, Ailina Reza, and I'm here today with Jess Craven, who is an activist and an influencer um, who has taken to TikTok to really talk about the intersection of politics and parenting. Hi, Jess. Welcome. Hi, Eileen. How are you? It's very nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm great, and I'm really excited to have you here. Um, I want to talk to you about media in particular and the power of media. And just to get started as a fun icebreaker, I wanted to ask you about um, how media impacts you in your day-to-day life. And if there's a video that you've seen recently that has kind of changed your perspective on something or moved you. Um, and I, I can start because I, um, I've been using this example with, with some of my colleagues recently. I ran a marathon a couple of weeks ago for the first time. And because I was training for my marathon, so much of the content that I was getting on social media was about running. Mm. And, um, you know, like you like one thing, you know how the algorithms work. You like one thing yep. and then it keeps feeding you that. And I saw this video that said, a marathon is just a 10K with a 20 mile warm up. And oh. that video just like changed my perspective in such a way that I like carried it throughout my race. <laughs> and when I got to the last six miles, I was like, okay, this is my 10K. I've been I've been training for this. This is easy. I know how to run a 10K. I can do this. And it just, it's so interesting to think that like someone on social media made that video and it just like really influenced me in that way. So I'd love to hear if you have a similar experience. Yeah, well, the funny thing is like, do I have a, do I have a, a video on social media that has like changed my thinking? Um, well, there's a silly one, and then yeah. there's maybe a slightly more real real one. The one that moved me recently, the, my dirty secret is actually that I don't watch a lot of social media because I'm busy making it all the time. But when I do, uh, usually it's some uh, configuration of animals and children that pops up on <laughs> my feed. And I got a video of a, of a looked like it was about a 10, maybe 11-year-old child uh, I think it was a boy who was being reunited with his dog who had been lost I don't know if anyone saw this it appeared to have millions of views but you know the dog kind of runs in and they, they kind of sneak the dog in and the dog runs in and the kid sees him and then just like bursts into tears and just embraces the dogs and just sobs and sobs so that was my I, that I'm just a sucker for because my kid really really loves dogs um, yeah. And then on a more interesting level, I've just gotten really into TED Talks recently. So I, I was uh, watched a TED Talk just recently about uh, climate change and how one of the best ways to help with it is just to talk to other people about it from the heart, about how it if, how you feel about it, and that really people don't talk to others about it very much. And in, in so doing, we can actually move the conversation forward. And I thought that was really interesting. So I like TED Talks. I love watching those yeah. people do their magic. Yeah, I love a good TED Talk too. And that's yeah. so wonderful what you just said about just like the power of conversations and talking yeah. to people from the heart about an issue, which is exactly what you're doing on social media all the time. 
Um, and I'd love to hear how you sort of got started in that. What what moved you to start speaking on on TikTok about what what you were feeling and what was going on? Well, I got started on TikTok uh, in 2020. And to be honest, when I started making videos on it, I didn't, I'd never been on it. Um, I was not, I didn't watch it, I didn't consume it, but I had a friend my age, um, I'm 55, so my friend was like, you know, she wasn't that involved in politics. And every once in a while, we were on a video chat app together. I would explain something to her in really simple terms. And she said to me, you need to go on TikTok and you need to make TikToks like that where you explain things to people in simple terms. And I was like, but, but then when the uh, big elections were coming up and I was trying to kind of get more people involved and engage more volunteers, I don't know, one day I was like, I'm going to go on there and just try to make a TikTok. And you know, it's not like it took the first day, but, um, but it did kind of take in a very surprising way. And I found this incredibly interested and engaged audience there who was kind of really thirsty for like, how do I do this? How do I get involved? And so then I, you know, I stayed. Yeah. Um, what were some of those first videos you created about? The first videos were, I mean, after the initial awkward, you know, just kind of how do I make this work? How do I turn <laughs> this thing on? Um, I did a couple saying like, I need people to volunteer to make phone calls and stuff like that. I did, I think the ones that really started to kind of gain me followers were me telling stories about um, phone banking. I do a lot of phone banking, a lot of volunteering for campaigns. And every once in a while you have a phone call that's really extraordinary, it just happens. And so I started getting on and, and telling some of these stories like, oh man, I talked to this person today and you know, whatever it was. And, um, and people love that. They were really fascinated by that. And then I would like do the phone banking on the videos sometimes, or I would call my representatives on the, on the TikTok, which is something that I have a newsletter where I, I really encourage people to call their reps. So I was like, well, let me show people what it looks like. And then uh, people were like, that's so cool. So it's stuff like that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that is really cool because I know that for a lot of people, calling your rep might feel, I don't know, daunting, scary, like even some people have anxiety around it. And so what kind of feedback were you getting from folks when you were kind of showing how to do it on live on video like that? Literally just like, I never knew that was how you did that. Um, I never knew that you, just all of it. I mean, they just, people were like, I've never seen someone do that before. And then I would see feedback in the comments. Like I just did it. I just did it. And people would say <laughs> that was my first time ever. And it just it is a really incredible feeling. I think that we tell people call your reps, but nobody really knows what that looks like. You know, most yeah. of us don't even know who our representatives are, or if we do, we have never called. A lot of people have anxiety about that kind of thing. So I just sort of showed them like, it's not that hard. It takes about 30 seconds, maybe a minute and no one's going to yell at you or challenge you. It's really simple. And like, you can do this. And I guess just by showing them that was impactful. Yeah. So at Parents Together, where I'm the executive director, that's one of the things that we encourage parents to do all the time. Um, and I'd love to hear your mom. So I'd love to hear sort of like, tell me about your, your, your kid, your mom, um, Tell me a little bit about that. 
Okay. Well, um, my kid is 14. Uh, they are non-binary, so they go by they, them pronouns. So if you hear me say they, I'm talking about one child and it is my child. Um, and they're fantastic. They're terrific. Um, uh, they are probably the largest reason that I am in the work that I'm in. I just have a uh, very strong desire to make sure that the world they grow up in is stable-ish and safe-ish and, you know, livable. And so um, it is a fire in my belly all the time is just like, protect MJ, protect MJ. And, and everybody else's kids. I have nieces and nephews and I love kids. Like I just love kids, I do. And so um, I feel that it, these are people who don't have a vote and everything is at stake for them. And so I am working to make sure that those of us who do have a vote use our vote on behalf of these people who don't. Yeah. So that's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And they're our future, right? Like we need to protect, protect them because without them, there's, there's nothing. Absolutely. Um, can I, so I love what you just said and something that we hear sometimes at parents together, when we ask our, our folks to um, reach out to their representatives or talk about something that um, might be political. Sometimes we get this feedback from our audience that says, um, oh, you should just stick to parenting. Stop getting hmm. so political. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, about the intersection of politics and parenting. Is parenting political by nature? <laughs> I mean, is parenting political? It is the most political job there is. I mean, it, it, we... I think of it a little bit like we're, we're building a nest, right? That's what parents do in, in nature. Like they create a sort of nest or a safe place for their kids. And that is what we are doing as we raise them is we're, we're simultaneously trying to create a safe world for them to go out into. So what is the point in having kids if we don't make the world a place where they can survive and thrive? Um, and every single step of the way, we are making choices about how we're raising them, what we're teaching them, where we live, how we live. And those are all, I think it's so funny when people say politics doesn't affect me. Politics is affecting every second of every bit of your day, whether we know it or not. It is, it is all around us. It's the water that the fish swims in. And so, yes, of course, as a parent, I want to make sure that my kid has the best shot they've got. Um, and so, yeah, heck yeah, it's extremely political. And if we choose not to be political about parenting, someone else is going to do it on our behalf. And we may not like what they do at all. Yeah, no, I, that's, I absolutely agree. And, you know, um, w when we hear that, we, we, it's, it's, it's that same thing. Like so many parents are struggling, you know, we hear mm -hmm. from parents that they are, it's hard for parents to make ends meet. We're m parents are stretched so thin. We have so much, um, we, our burden is so heavy sometimes. And, and so many parents, when we talk to them, feel like that's on them. Like it's, it's, it's their responsibility to like solve all of that. And I don't know. I just feel like, there's there's a there there are so many solutions out there that if that that are possible if as parents we uh, we we realize that they existed and sort of like demanded them and so I'm curious about how 
you've been, whether that's part of the work that you're doing as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, there are so many solutions out there. And I think that we can, yeah, people tend to throw up their hands and for sometimes for really good reason. If people are just working incredibly hard to just make ends meet, they're working two jobs They're I mean, that is understandable. Um, but when we have a little bit of extra time and we can look around and say, oh, wow, like there are policies that will either provide paid family leave or not, that will either put a little bit more money in parents' pockets every month for their kids or not, will provide childcare or not, the, you know, will make our schools safe from gun violence or not. These are all, you know, lead in our drinking water. I could go on and on and on. There are policies that will affect all of these things, every aspect of our lives. And again, someone is working to make those policies go one direction or another. And so whatever your party is, there's actually, I think, from what I understand, quite a lot of agreement that, you know, we all want our kids to be safe from gun violence. We all want to breathe clean air and water. We all want enough money to be able to put food on our table. There are policies that can help make that more possible. And that is what fires me up about what I do, is that when I help a good, you know, candidate or, or, you know, win or a good law pass, I know that I am helping to actually meaningfully change someone's kid's life, maybe mine, maybe someone else's. And that's huge. What, what greater thing could there be to do? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's become like politics is a dirty word, right? When, like I said, whenever we talk about it, sometimes our audience is like, oh, don't be so political. How do you respond to that? How, how do we make politics fun and interesting and something that, um, that can actually, like, how do we let people know that it can affect their life in very meaningful ways? Yeah. I mean, that is, you know, let people know that politics affect their lives in meaningful ways. I think there's a number of ways. And it, that is kind of the ongoing question. You know, I remember going out uh, door knocking. I was knocking on doors for a candidate with MJ, when my kid, when they were probably mm, eight, seven, I used to bring them with me canvassing. Um, and I still do sometimes. And we knocked on this one guy's door and he said, oh, you know, we started, I started talking. They were just standing behind me. And uh, he said, oh, I don't vote. And uh, I said, oh, are you sure? And he said, yeah, I, I don't vote. Politics don't affect me. And when we walked away, I couldn't get him to change his mind. MJ was so disheartened by that and so shocked. And uh, and I had to explain, yeah, there are people who just, uh, who feel that their voices don't matter. And, and it's really, it's discouraging, but it is our job to let them know that their voices do. One of the ways I do that a lot is by pointing out really simple, concrete ways that government is in our lives, whether we like it or not. You know, how much we're paying at the grocery store, how much we're paying in taxes, how much we're paying for our auto registration. You know, these are how clean our air and water are. All of that is politics. It could, like every aspect, what's printed on our currency, it's all politics, what's taught in our schools. So there's that. And I also, um, I really try to remind people of how often elections come down to one or two votes and and then, or five votes or 10 votes, and then how meaningful those changes in elected officials can be in policy. So telling stories, um, helping people to sort of bridge the gap because a lot of people just don't understand and uh, being patient, meeting people where they are, I guess. Yeah. 
Um, and so in addition to creating content on social media, you also write a newsletter. I do. And the name is Chop Wood, Carry Water. Can you tell me yep. a little bit about what that name means? Yeah, I can. It's actually not a very good politics newsletter uh, name at all, but it is, uh, it's on Substack. I've been writing it since about late uh, 2016. Um, and it is, uh, the reason it was named that was because I wanted people, uh, at a time that was, let's just say a little, it was a little tumultuous. Um, I wanted to give people a sense that, uh, instead of worrying about the future and getting really caught up in like, um, sort of projecting things into the future that we didn't really know this idea of like, when you're anxious or when you're feeling like things are messed up or when you're feeling like you don't know where to start just chop wood, carry water. It was actually a saying, it's actually, I believe, the name of a book about Buddhism. But mm. my dad taught me the saying when I was going through a divorce when I was in my 30s, and I was just sad and bummed out. And he was like, well, just, you know, you'll feel better eventually. But right now, just chop wood, carry water. And I, I always remembered that phrase that when things feel overwhelming and really hard, just what can I do right now? I'm a really big believer in action as an antidote for both, you know, society's ills and for anxiety. So I that's that. really, I'd, yeah. I'd love that. I'd never heard that before, but um, I'm going to start using that because it just, it feels applicable to all kinds of, of situations, even parenting, yeah. like this, this whole idea of like, we're raising these kids. We want them to, we have these ideas for them and we want them to be a certain way and they're going to do whatever they're going to do. And all we can do is Yep. Chop wood, carry water, support them in the moment. That's right. And and when you get overwhelmed with all the parenting tasks in the morning, when it's like, the dog needs to be fed. I got to make the lunch. I got to feed the kid. I got to do this. Just, 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 just next right action. Just keeping it really simple to that next right action in front of me always works in pretty much any area of my life. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about your kid a little bit, who you mm -hmm. mentioned was non-binary. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd love to hear sort of how how they came out to you and how um how you've experienced that transition as a mom sure yeah uh how i've experienced that transition as a mom is uh somewhat clunkily um but mostly it has been a, just a magnificent experience and and uh such a learning curve um so mj uh identified you know they were assigned female at birth um identified as a girl until they were 11 at about nine, uh, they told me after seeing a little bit of an episode of Queer Eye that featured a, a lesbian, um, we were driving to the library to drop off some books after watching that and they were in the back seat, and they said, you know, mom, um, I think I'm like that girl on Queer Eye. And I said, oh yeah, what do you mean? And they said, um, at the time she said, um, I think I get crushes on girls. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's great. I actually felt a small sense of relief, which I'm, you know, guilty. Uh, you know, it just it seemed easier to me in some way, but that's <laughs> just my silliness. Um, I'm married to a man who I adore, of course, but, you know, I was like, oh, that's terrific. Uh, I was a little surprised because they had, they had never really let on. Um, I was like, that's great. And, uh, and then we went on with the day. I didn't want to make a big fuss about it. Um, and so I started doing a little research about how best to support them. And I just kind of, you know, started the journey of like Googling my kid, you know, might be queer. What does that mean? And then when they were 11, they told us uh, that they wanted to be, that they wanted to be, um, have they, them pronouns used and that they identified as non-binary. That was a little harder 
you know, my husband and I are not super young. We were just, it was just hard to understand. I didn't really know any non-binary people. Um, and it was actually my mom. I called her the night that I, that uh, the same day that MJ uh, told us and I was crying, not so much because I was, I didn't disapprove. I just was confused. And I was like, I think they're, they're too, you know, too young to make this decision. And my mom just said, Jessica, just if they want to go by they, them pronouns, they, let them go. That's if that's who they say they are, that's who they are. Just love them. It was really amazing. My mom is, you know, what, 82 now. She was like, just love her at the time. Her, them, we, we still get the pronouns wrong. You know, I mean, it's, it's still a work in progress. But, and so I did, that's what we decided to do. And it has literally just been a spectacular journey. Um, and uh, I love and completely adore watching MJ go through this journey. I love having a non-binary kid. It is so interesting. I learned so much and uh, they are thriving across the board and i hope that that at least has something to do with the fact that we were just like okay if that's who you are that's who you are great that's that's all we can do that's all we're supposed to do right love and support our kids um the best totally. that we can and but i imagine that having a non-binary kid adds an extra layer of like fire in your belly when when you think about politics right and the and the kind of world that you want to create um for them in the future so i'd love to hear sort of how that's affected your 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 work as a as an influencer talking about um these issues yeah it's affected my work quite a bit just because i mean it's one thing in the abstraction i i have always uh supported obviously lgbtq rights but that when it's your own family and your own kid, it's a really different situation. It suddenly is very uh, visceral. Um, so that is even more important to me uh, than ever. And things like, uh, you know, book bans, which are very abstract. You hear about them in the news. But when the books they're banning are books that I went out and got MJ specifically so that they would not feel alone, you're like, wow. And, and it's, I've really tried to explain to people that the thing about these books, I mean, it's that when MJ was first coming out, they would say to me, there's like no books about kids like me there. I just, I'm not like every book is about like the girlfriend and the boyfriend or marrying the prince or whatever. And so I went out of my way to find those books so that they wouldn't right. feel so alone. And that's right. what those books do. Right. And you're cause and I'll stop with this, but like, we're living in a heteronormative society. We're living in a society where everything is set up for boys and girls and, you know, his men's room and women's room and, or whatever, you know, uh, if you're talking about race, it's very sort of white normative, like whatever it is. And so finding these books that are, show your kid their world dramatized is really important. Oh, absolutely. I, um, my kids, are, are Latino, we're, we're a Latino family. And I have seen something similar happen with my kids when they see characters who speak Spanish, who are like them. Like there is, um, there's a new Spider-Man who's uh, Afro-Latino. Oh, yeah. My kids yeah. are just, they just think it's the greatest thing. And he was like eating fried plantains on in the movie. And they were like, look at that mom. Like we, we eat that too. It just means yeah. so much to kids to see themselves reflected in media. It's incredibly powerful so powerful and that is a I love that spider-man yeah it's incredibly <laughs> powerful and important and I think it's important to remember that we want kids to feel 
part of a community. And that's really hard when they're not seeing themselves anywhere in the community. So yeah. it's a gift we can give. It should be something we all are so happy to do to just yeah. help our kids feel more comfortable. Absolutely. Um, and yet I, I, I'm, I wonder if you ever, especially on social media, there's, there's lots of trolls, there's lots of pushback, there's lots of folks spewing um, often hate. And I wonder if you've seen some of that and how do you, how do you react to that? What's, what's your way to handle that? Well, how do I react to trolls is that I usually block them. I have a very, very low tolerance for abuse, um, name calling, any of that stuff. Uh, so if they want to have a conversation about policy or anything, that's fine. But if people are just calling names or the sort of what they would call the ad hominem attack, uh, I will not tolerate. Attacks on uh, my kid, I would not tolerate. But I don't talk about my kid that that much and i would actually would never let mj themselves come onto social media we actually don't right. mj's not on social media yet and that's a yeah. personal choice um but i'm not going to expose them to that it's it's pretty it can get really pretty nasty um so you you have to have either a thick skin or just kind of the ability to block and go on and i, I don't want them that's not yeah this yeah. is my journey it's not i made the choice to put my face out there so I didn't, you know, they have not made that choice and I don't think they're really ready to make that choice. So. No, totally. I, I that's, that's, that makes a ton of sense. Um, but yeah. I'm curious about when, when you're, when you're creating content, which um, is often political, I'm sure that there are folks who disagree, who have a different point of view. How do you, how do you respond to that generally? It, it just feels well, like we're so polarized right now. Um, and I'm yeah. curious if, Yeah. Yeah, this is a particularly difficult moment. Um, and I would say that every social media creator I know is struggling a little bit to sort of, you know, navigate the waters. That's real choppy just in general. And the country is very divided. Um, I will always try to have a conversation if someone is arguing in good faith. Um, that I am totally willing to do. Uh, Usually it's a little bit more of goes straight to name calling, in which case um, I don't, again, I, I won't engage in that. Um, but I am also like, there's certain kinds of people that I'm like, we are going to have to agree to disagree. Like I, if someone says something like, uh, you know, you're a bad parent, you're, your kid is a girl and you should just accept it. Like, I'm not going to dignify that with you know, that's just a, like, we're living in different worlds and I'm not going to, my job is not to spend my time trying to educate that person. So it's a, it's a lot of like knowing when to, when to engage and when not. And um, it's a lot of work on not taking things personally. And that's, so I've been called a couple of really terrible things. And, you know, you have to, I have to know when to get off the computer, off the phone and go hug my kid, walk my dog, hug my husband get back into my actual on the planet community because without that the social media stuff will destroy you it's it's yeah. tough yeah no it can be really i mean it's such a double-edged sword right because i'm sure that you've also had experiences where you built community and like connected with people on social media i'd love to hear if you have any examples of that oh yeah i mean it is largely a really positive experience and and you know uh, when I go on and share some kind of victory or something good that's happened, you know, to watch all the comments of just people celebrating, it's a very meaningful. And especially right now, because there's uh, we have almost an epidemic of hopelessness 
going on. Um, there is so much uh, fear and hopelessness for you know various reasons, and you know some of them are obvious, and some are political, and some are not. But especially with the young people, there's a lot of stuff to worry about. It's a, it's so. What I really try to do is be a someone who brings hope. I don't always succeed. <clears throat> I've made videos that have been unpopular for various reasons, but I try for the most part to be uncontroversial because I'm just sharing like good news or ways we can try to make a positive difference. And so maybe I'm a little less controversial than some because of that, but even so, uh, it's not always pretty, but I love the people that follow me on TikTok. 95% of them are fantastic. Um, okay. So we are living in a moment of hopelessness, but you seem to be, to have found a key to hope. And I'm just, what, what gives you hope? Where, where are you getting hope from right now? That's a really good question. Um, where am I getting hope from? Well, like I said, I discovered early on in this process when I sort of found this, you know, I kind of found what I was meant to do in the world when I was 48 years old. Like it's a kind of unusual story. Um, but when I found that this is what I was meant to do, part of that was realizing that, um, as I often say in my newsletter, hope is an action, right? So if I feel hopeless and I just sit around thinking about or talking about the fact that I'm feeling hopeless, I'm going to feel more hopeless. If I share that with other people, they're going to feel hopeless also. When I take a simple action towards the thing I believe is the right thing, weirdly, I suddenly feel a little bit more hopeful. So I have discovered that hope is not a feeling for me, it's an action. When I feel hopeless, I do something. Even if I don't feel like it, even if I'm just like, there's no point, I just do something. I do, I, you know, well, I, I mean, I just do an action that seems like it's going the right way. And the result of doing that, and then I share that with other people. And so as you become a sort of um, purveyor of hope, uh, you tend to see more of the reasons for hope in the world. So I spend a lot of time looking for reasons for hope. And as a result of that, uh, I'm not uh, naively optimistic. There are incredibly huge challenges that we're facing right now. But I also have a lot of reason to feel optimistic because of the people I see every day working to make things better. And we don't hear about them as much, but they are everywhere, everywhere. And most of them, of course, our moms. I mean, parents, but moms, especially, it's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, well, it's true. I mean, moms are moms do so much, um, and often feel so hopeless. So I'd love, I love what you said about like, I do one thing. So like, if you had to tell somebody to do one thing, what would you, what would you say to them to feel better? Well, about to feel world. better. Uh, you know, well, I mean, one thing that I was told a long time ago is that if I'm feeling bad, look for someone else who's feeling bad and try to make them feel better. And that often mm. helps a lot. That's a, that yeah. is a never fails. Um, but I mean, any, so, you know, I, I want to stay sort of, uh, vague in my responses to like what kinds of actions, but, you know, look for a cause you care about and then just look for an organization working towards that cause and then write them an email and say, how can I help? Like, what can I do? And, and you don't have to commit your entire week to it. It can be like, I have a half an hour a week to give. What can I do? And, and then, um, you know, organizations are all looking for volunteers. They're all looking for ways to slot people in and they will work with whatever you are willing to give them. 
Uh, find a, a political candidate who gives you hope or you feel ha it has integrity and offer to help them. They will take it. Um, there's just so many little tiny things. And, and the problem is, is that people feel that, well, it's such a little tiny thing, like whether I do that or not, that's not going to make a difference. And we have to change our thinking on that uh, workshop before big elections called Activism 101. And the first thing I tell people who come to it, it's for people who have never really done activism before, is you have to stop thinking like, oh, my little actions are so insignificant that what does it matter if I volunteer for a half an hour a week? Like that won't change anything. And we, I encourage people to really think of themselves as a little drop of water, right? So each of us is just a little drop of water. And it is true that on our own, we just can't do anything. But you cannot affect, if you put all of those little drops of water together, that is when you start being able to carve stone, right? And if every single drop of water in that giant wave said, I'm not coming because I don't matter, you're not going to have the wave. So yeah. Individually, sure, maybe our single action doesn't matter, but we've got to think of ourselves in a collective of people taking action. We can't always see them, but I am telling you, because I see them every day, they are out there in the millions and they are doing incredible work and they need everybody to bring their drop, as it were. So that's all I encourage people to do is just bring your drop. You don't have to bring the whole wave, bring your drop. Bring your own drop. Um, I love that. And, you know, the, the, so, so often this hopelessness translates into what you were mentioning of, of that, that person that you were canvassing for who said, I'm, I don't vote. I don't believe my vote matters. Um, and, but a, a vote is a drop. And so pitch me here. Tell, tell me what you told that person um, outside their home to, 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 I mean, to try to convince them that voting is so important. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I told a person uh, who I spoke to on a phone bank uh, recently in a recent election. And she was, I was calling voters uh, and I got a wrong number. It was not the person I, you know, sometimes that happens when you're phone banking, the voter files have the wrong number. So I started talking to this young lady and I explained why I was calling. And uh, oh, she said, oh, well, I'm not gonna be voting. I'm not even registered. So I said, oh, really, hon? Um, you know, how old are you? She said she was in her early 20s. And I was like, you know, um, why is that? Why, why do you, why have you not registered? Why have you not voted ever? And she said, well, I just wouldn't know what to do. And I don't feel like I'm well enough informed. And what I said to her was, I'm going to tell you something that I was told when I was your age, um, which was, I was sort of struggling with my self-esteem a little bit. And somebody told me, you know, Jessica, self-esteem comes from taking esteemable actions right? Oh. That's how we get it. Not from wishing for it, not by getting a new lipstick or whatever. It comes from taking esteemable actions. And I told this woman, um, I was like, the most esteemable action we can take in this world is to vote because it is an absolute declaration that our voice matters. So I was like, I cannot encourage you enough to this, the state I was calling into had same day voter registration. I was like, I am going to encourage you. I gave her my cell number. I was like, I'm going to send you a link for how to do same day voter registration. And I want you to think about doing it because your voice matters. And I can hear that you don't think it does, but that's never going to change until you start acting like it does. And the crazy thing about that story, so help me, this is true. I made a TikTok about it was that I texted her back on election day and she had actually gone and voted. She had gone, registered and voted. 
And I was like, I am so proud of you. And she was like, it felt really good. She said, it felt really good. I've never done that before. And I was like, I oh, know. So, you know, it's a, I think Americans often just feel they are so disconnected from democracy and from their power. And so my job, so much of what I am here to do is just tell people like, you matter. You can change the world. You know, if you think one little being can't make a difference, just ask a mosquito, you know? I mean, we can do a lot when we get busy being our most buzzy selves. So <laughs> not that I like mosquitoes, but you understand the metaphor. <laughs> I, I, I definitely do. And um, it's like, I, I love to hear that because we are powerful. And that's one of the things we try to remind um, our audience at Parents Together about it's the, the power that they have, the power that parents have. And I especially think that parents are incredibly powerful because they are driven by love, right? Like yes. the love that we have for our kids, there's nothing more powerful than that in the world. And we should, we should leverage that love to affect change and to make our world a world in which we want to see our kids growing up and thriving and and living their best lives. So absolutely. And that, and that leading with love, as opposed to, like, I always tell people in my newsletter, we're not fighting the evil. We are adding to the light. Like we are bringing more good to the fight. Like there's always going to be, you know, there's just always are, I wish there weren't, but there's always going to be sort of greedy, venal people or organizations doing bad stuff. And I wish it weren't true, but it is. But like the more we bring to the side of good or the side of the light, it makes the fight more sustainable for me. If I'm fighting evil, it gets exhausting. But if I am simply like bringing another candle to the sort of, you know, big pool of light, that is, um, I think if you ask me why I feel so much hope, it's because I'm not fighting evil. I am working to bring more good. Um, I'm, I'm trying to help the good guys. That's, that's what yeah. it is. Yeah. And it's, it's, and that, and that starts from a place of knowing that there is good. And I agree. There is so much good. Yeah. And you're right. If you center that around love, you're going to head for the good. Like you could say, well, what is good? What is evil? Well, if I'm heading towards love and especially the love a parent has for their child, I'm probably, you know, if I'm helping to feed kids, if I'm helping to like help people have health insurance, like it's hard to argue that those are evil things. I guess you could, but it's hard. Yeah. So if I'm going in with an attitude of sort of, you know, it sounds cheesy, but like with an attitude of service, I'm probably going to stay on the right track. Cause I think most of the quote unquote evil that we see is pretty clearly motivated by self-seeking greedy motives. And, and parents don't typically have that as much. I mean, they, they do maybe, but if we can head into our work with a feeling of like, I want to help my kid and I want to help all kids, we're probably going to be on the right track. I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. Um, okay. So to wrap up, I'd love to hear what you would say to a parent who is just these parents that we know are feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, like hopeless. Um, what would you say to them? I would say if, well, okay, so if someone's feeling hopeless, they're feeling exhausted. I think the first thing is I would say, I get it. Like, I think we're all very tired and I completely understand that uh, there's a lot of reasons to feel hopeless. 
But I think we can change our definition of hope. Uh, there's a great Vaclav Havel quote about this, in fact, that I don't have in front of me where hope is not necessarily an optimism, but it is a belief that it is worth fighting for the things we believe in, whether or not we know we can attain them, right? So when I make it my job to just, again, like I may feel hopeless about the future, but I know I have power and I know I feel better when I do something. So I am going to do a little something. I'm going to come from a place of love. And all around us, we see stories of just unreasonable, impossible things that happen when people decide to do that. Um, so I would say that. And I would also just remind people that like we've been through a lot of tough times in this country. Our country has a very difficult history, obviously. Um, that is, you know, uh, putting it mildly. And we've had some very, very, very bleak moments. And in every one of those moments, there were people who had it way harder than we do, who did not give up. And they didn't just throw their hands up and say, this is too much. I'm going to go watch Netflix. A, they didn't have Netflix. But B, <laughs> they were like, I will do what I can. And they moved mountains with that determination. And so doesn't mean I can't take days off. It doesn't mean every once in a while I break down in tears and just, you know, and that's fine. But then I get back up, I dust myself off. And I think if those people could do it under those circumstances, I can certainly do a little bit from mine. And so, um, and, and the last, last thing I'll say is just remember, although we can all feel very alone because we're all in our little homes with our little social media, but I am telling you, I am telling you because I know them and I see them, there are millions and millions of other good, decent, caring people in this country who are working so hard to make a difference. We don't hear about them as often, but they are out there. And do whatever you can to chase down that hopeful news and focus on it. You know, I always say what we focus on grows. So if you're just reading the purveyors of anxiety, you're gonna feel terrible. Find some people who are spreading the good news, who are spreading the hope, who are calm and giving you reasonable things to do that might help, and you'll start to feel better right away. And uh, just remember, do not forget hope is an action. What can I say? I believe that if we don't quit before the miracle, we actually may see a miracle. I love that. And just on a personal note, like, like I just, I needed to hear that today. So thank you, Jess. I'm glad. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I'm glad. Jess, I, I love to hear about like sort of like your journey with uh, MJ coming out to you. And and it's so incredible to hear that like your mom who's older, you always assume that like older people are going to be more conservative about these things, but that she really is the one who um, inspired you and helped you really focus on the most important thing, which is like love and support your kid now. And I'd love to hear what advice you might have for other parents who are who whose kid has come out to them or who might um, have a kid who's part of the LGBTQ community, what would you say to them? I mean, I can't, I, I don't want to, what I would say to them, and I don't ever would never presume to tell another parent how to parent because it's a very personal decision, right? And everyone's going to do what is comfortable for them. But I will say that my experience has been pretty much what my mom said, just love them, like just love them. Um, see them uh listen and if this hasn't happened to you yet 
uh, and you think, well, I don't need to listen to this part of the podcast because, you know, my kid isn't queer. You just don't really know. I didn't think MJ was queer either until I found out they were. But I think never go wrong when we just uh, allow our kids to go on their journey and just walk next to them. You know, my job is not to say you need to be this or you need to be that. It's just um, I am here with you. I see you. I celebrate you. Everything you are is incredible to me. And um, I'm here if you need me, right? Like that's kind of what it feels like to me. And what I have done is really make an effort to like get those books where where queer people are represented. Um, find some queer bands. You know, look for, I really felt that I wanted to lean into it. And that um, has worked out really well for me. So I would just say that, um, again, I wouldn't, I, fighting it for me was not an option after that first moment uh, where my mom, you know, kind of talked some sense into me. Uh, and I'm really grateful for that because I don't know that fighting it would have done anything except make MJ so sad and so bitterly depressed at home. And it wouldn't have changed anything about the way they felt inside. So yeah i'm just a happy yeah. witness that's what i get to be that's that's such great advice um and then for parents who are who are worried and scared for their kids I and mean, you know so much like we said like we are so driven by love right and we want to love and support our kids but and and parents might be feeling like this is going to be so hard for my child because our the world it's not supporting them. What would you say to parents who are like, oh, I'm scared, I'm worried, I want to protect my kid and I don't know what to do? Yeah, I mean, what I would say to parents who were scared about their kid coming out is that's how I felt too. One of the reasons I, I cried when MJ told me that they were non-binary was because I was like, oh God, that world is not set up for this. They're going to be isolated and you know different and it's going to be painful and they might get teased. And I know for parents of, you know, trans kids, it can get, these can all be uh, really dangerous situations depending on where you live and what the community is like. I live in Los Angeles, so it's like pretty chill here, but that's not always the case. Um, I would say advocate for your kid, be their fiercest ally. Let that child know that you cannot change the world immediately. You can't make every single person be tolerant or accepting, but you will fight like hell to make sure that they are protected and safe. And, you know, I would, I would, I can't even, I don't even want to think about what I would do if someone started picking on MJ, you'd have to probably, you know, but it's, it's, and I, and they know that. And that's all I can do. I know the world's going to, you know, they go to work and they, I mean, they go to school and they hear the occasional slur, anti-LGBTQ slur that should never be used. And I think, you know, it probably bothers them, but they also like, they know they're loved. They know they're, they know who they are and they're strong in it because we at home are telling them you're great. You're awesome. And our extended family is telling them they're great and they're awesome. And that's how I think you arm your kid to go out into a world that's not exactly always safe for them with at least the knowledge that they're okay. The people with the problem that's they have the problem, not not me. And then, of course, there are also certain places that right now MJ doesn't want to travel to about, well, let's just say there's several places in the country they don't want to go. 
and yeah. I respect that completely and I would not make that. So I guess that's it. And he's just like, let them set the boundaries of where they feel safe and where they don't. Thanks, Jess. I, I feel so inspired and I am sure that our audience is going to want to get more doses of this inspiration on a regular basis. So tell us, where do we follow you? How do we sign up for your newsletter? How do we continue to just soak in your brilliance? <laughs> well, that's very nice of you. And first of all, thank you so much for having me. This has been such a fun conversation and I love, literally love Parents Together. Like you guys are an amazing organization. And I mean that uh, really as an advocate for kids like you are, I always tell people parents together is like the lobbying organization that kids don't otherwise have. Um, and I really appreciate that about you. People can follow me on Instagram or TikTok at Jess Craven 101. And my Substack. Uh, so if you go to Substack and you search chop wood, carry water, daily actions, you will find my newsletter. And uh, yeah, and whoever you are listening to this, you can play a role in making our kids' future better. And I don't mean that is not just a, a, a cringy saying, I mean it, you can. You have power, we need you. Please join us in some small way. We will welcome you to this uh, very worthy work. <laughs> <laughs>